when I'm out of town and I tell people that I'm from Toledo, Ohio, uh, what I always tend to brag about is the Toledo Art Museum, the Toledo Zoo, the G Plant, the Mud Hens. And one thing I always mention is Mancy's Restaurant. And we're lucky today to have with us Gus Mancy, the owner of, of Mancy's Restaurant in Toledo. And Mancy's has been known as the first family of restaurants of quality in Toledo. Uh, thanks for being here with us today, Gus. Good morning. Thanks, Chuck. Nice to see you. So um, let's talk initially, uh, if somebody's been asleep for the last 25 years, uh, maybe you could tell us about how many different Mancy's restaurants there are in Toledo. Sure. There's about as many as uh, there are uh, third generation people that are working the business. Um, uh, I got back in 1989. My cousin Mike and I uh, have been running the steakhouse since then. And in 97, we started Mancy's Italian. My brother George joined us after uh, uh, a college and a stint with the Bravo Restaurant Group uh, for several years. And um, we started Mancy's Italian. My brother John had come back from Philly uh, about that same time and was our chef at Mancy's Steakhouse. And while he was in Philly, he was uh, an executive chef at Morton's uh, Steakhouse. I think most people have heard of Morton's uh, in, in uh, most big cities. Um, so these guys came back with uh, a bunch of knowledge, raring to go, and and that was our impetus to um, uh, build uh, Mancy's Italian in '97. In '03, cousin Nick came back, and um, Shorty's Barbecue was born. And in 05, Mancy's Blue Water. Um, and then in, uh, recently, Mancy's Finley 2017. Um, and then also Mancy's Ideal 2018. So we've been busy uh, uh, beginning of the millennial and now in the last few years uh, opening up some restaurants. But we're going to put that on pause now and we're going to wait for the fourth generation to come on board um, and, and and see what they can do. So everybody always talks about the American dream and your family is actually, you know, one of the best examples I've ever heard of the American dream for people that don't know the story. Maybe you could tell them. Sure. Um, yeah. I'd love to talk about my grandfather immigrated from Greece in 1917 uh, as a young man, 17 years old. Imagine, uh, getting on an ocean liner, a three-week voyage, and getting to New York City. Um, New York City, when he got there, he came from a small village in Crete, and um, it was very loud, chaos, noisy, lots of people. He'd never seen anything like it before. His parents told him, if you didn't like New York and, and get the right job, um, go to Toledo, Ohio. There's some Greek people from our village and you can hook up with them. Well, after about three weeks in New York, he did that. He came to Toledo. And by the time he bought the train ticket from New York to Toledo, he seriously and truly had $1 uh, in his pocket. Um, from there, he worked hard for about four or five years to save money 
and opened up Mansi's, uh, actually was the ideal in 1921, later morphed into Mansi's ideal and then just simply Mansi's. So since 1921, um, we've been building this restaurant company. So one thing I think that's interesting about your family is oftentimes there's a business where, let's say, one generation starts the business and um, other generations maybe continue it on, maybe make it a little bit better. Your family, um, it seems generation after generation have new ideas and not that the old restaurant wasn't fantastic, but you've had a lot of really smart ideas and each generation has made the Mansi's name better and better. Why is that? Well, I think one of the, um, the second generation had, had set this kind of rule that go out, get educated, go work for somebody else. And I remember clearly and plainly my uncle George saying, go take your lumps from somebody else besides me. My uncle George was my dad's twin brother. And, um, you know, we all did that. We, we went out and got out of Toledo, got a little, got a little education. Um, and then uh, we all worked for another restaurant company um, for several years before coming back to the family business. So I think you get out, you get exposed to uh, different ideas, how corporate restaurants run, the efficiencies from a corporate standpoint, but then also uh, the care and nurturing that a, a family restaurant, an independent restaurant can provide. And I think we talk about it often, um, you know, having both those elements in our business where there's some structure and in, in, in important business uh, philosophies uh, that we follow. Um, but then also that that family, that the care and the interaction with our staff, um, you know, in, in, in some nice family uh, philosophies that we've learned in the past. So I think all of us have brought something back and contributed um, uh, immensely to, to our growth and then each restaurant's unique uh, difference. So did you work in the family restaurant as a little kid or why don't you talk about your your journey? Well, I can say, I can speak for everyone. We all did. We all, we, we were all in high school working here um, whether it was, uh, my very first job here was working in the wine room. I'd work three nights a week. My cousin Mike would work three nights a week and we'd get a little chit, uh, from the server. And then we'd retrieve the wine, red wine, white wine. We'd keep a running inventory and we were 12, 13 years old doing this and, and we'd get our homework done. Um, that job then led into dishwashing, being a busboy, being a server, being a cook, uh, appetizer cook, a broiler cook. We all worked throughout the entire uh, Mansi Steakhouse when we were uh, young and in high school, for sure. George, John, Mike, my cousin Nick, Mike's my cousin too, and uh, and myself. And and I think that's really brilliant because you know there's probably isn't a job in the place that you haven't done firsthand. So you have a lot of credibility with all your workers. Well, I'd say we're all pretty hands-on, uh, whether, whether uh, uh, during COVID, um, it's, you know, we've all grabbed a knife and, and, and prepped something or cooked something. Uh, there, there were some, uh, it's been a very challenging couple of years. And those skills that we had 20 years ago, 
Uh, and 30 years ago, it's like riding a bike that come right back uh, uh, with you when, when you have to roll up your sleeves and, and get things done. And, and I think I know all of us are hands on regardless, but uh, the last two years have been especially challenging. So maybe you could explain um, what specific challenges as Mansi's had, let's say, in the last couple of years. Sure. Well, having having COVID uh, uh, strike our, our country and, and the world and then uh, being closed for 12 weeks was it was uh, it was surreal, surreal being in this restaurant during those 12 weeks uh, doing some to go business. Um, my cousin Mike and I took most of the orders. Uh, we had uh, one chef, our chef, chef Mike, and a pantry chef here working with us. So just four people usually. And uh, it was very surreal being here for those 11, 12 weeks. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden, instantly supply chain issues happen. Uh, we've been very uh, fortunate when, when we reopened May 21st of 2020, every one of our staff members came back and, and, and we truly appreciated that over those following few months as, as the, um, uh, pandemic continued on. And there, there were some staff members based on family needs or uh, husband getting promoted, uh, and, and, you know, reevaluating their lives. So we had to hire, replace people that that had resigned uh, with plenty of notice but it was very difficult at that point in time to then go out and hire and staff the restaurant actually we were very busy during that time um, and and uh, we had 75 percent of our seating available uh, but people were coming at four o'clock and five o'clock to avoid the big crowd or maybe they were coming at eight o'clock um, and and so the whole night, during COVID, during that COVID time in 2020, after the reopening, we were really busy. If that makes sense, um, but it, it was it, it's challenging. And and even today, two years later, every day there's there's a, a supply chain issue and and, and prices going up. Um, uh, you know, labor is obviously uh, a, a big input in our business, and and any restaurant person will tell you that that they're experiencing uh, labor cost increases along with all these other increases. Um, plastic to go items have doubled in price. Beef is up anywhere from 20 to 70% good beef. Um, go, you go to the grocery store, look at the price of hamburger. So every day there's something that, that kind of you walk into work and it kind of whacks you in the face and you have to deal with something. I've already had to do that before I got on the phone call or the Zoom with you today. So, so um, I mean, today there are so many corporate change. There's so much competition in the market. There seems to be just more restaurants and even high-end restaurants needle than ever before. Um, how do you compete on quality? customer service. And I think the big thing that you guys are always known for is just the, the, the total atmosphere and experience. But how do you compete? Sure. First, um, I mean, just hiring great people, right? We need we need great people to provide great service, to, to build great plates of food. Um, and, and that constant interaction that we have, we're in our restaurants 
Um, you know, we're, we're, we're interviewing people. We're not, we're not uh, pushing all responsibility off to our managers. We, we are managing our restaurants with our managers. So I think, I think that's a competitive advantage. Um, relationships with purveyors and, and, and having strong relationships with, with our meat purveyors and our seafood purveyors. Uh, one instance, uh, Foley's Fish out of Boston. We've had a 30-year relationship with, with Foley's Fish. Uh, I just spoke to the owner uh, in Boston uh, yesterday because of a supply chain issue and very proactive and, and a very, you know, positive professional talk and, and they're going to solve uh, this issue. So um, having, having uh, a loyal staff is, is great, but you need great relations with your purveyors, knowing you're getting the best quality and the best possible pricing. And it's, it's a combination of all that, even, even our relationship with our electrician and, and our uh, um, refrigeration repair people is strong. And, and it's, it's so important. And, and that's one of the um, things when I, when I go back and I look at the whole package, how to run a restaurant, it's, it's very difficult um, in, in putting this package together uh, and learning this whole uh, ensemble of things that you have to do is important. And that's one thing that we're stressing to the fourth generation now is, is, is this is a very complex business with a lot of moving parts. So um, when I was talking about your vision for the future, um, you indicated it's the next generation. Uh, does the next generation, are they interested in, in, you know, becoming involved in the business or, you know, do you have to be persuaded? Do you have to persuade them or they're looking forward to it? Well, I don't think we want to push anybody into something that they, they don't want to do. Uh, first and foremost, um, I, I just uh, spent a little bit of time uh, explaining the pros and cons to my 25 year old daughter about the restaurant business and what she's doing now. And, and uh, uh, she's um, in Columbus working hard, just graduated uh, from the university here with, with her MBA and got a great job. And, and if she ever wants to come back to the restaurant business, doors open, but there's a whole world of possibilities out there for her. Um, and, and not, not to push anybody away from the business, but we definitely have each one of us, uh, has, uh, a son working in the business now, uh, uh getting educated, just got educated. Um, and, uh, cousin Nick, has son George, uh, my brother George, his son Andrew is out uh, working for the Aspen Hospitality Company in Aspen, Colorado now. Um, my son John has, oh, I, I said George Andrew, I meant George Nicholas is in Aspen. Brother John's son is helping to manage Stubborn Brother right now with the general manager there. Uh, my cousin Mike's son is working with us, and then my I have a son who is uh, uh, just finishing up high school, so the youngest one out of that whole bunch. So, long story short, it looks like there's five Mancies in the fourth generation that are very biz business oriented and moving towards the restaurant business. So I know that there must be a lot of really interesting stories or funny stories. Could you tell us? Uh, you know, some of the better stories or at least a couple for the audience? Sure. I'll try to be brief. I'll try to get a couple in. Uh, after World War II, uh, Christmas Eve, um, World War II had ended. It's, it's Christmas Eve. 
my uncle, uh, Nick Graham, who was partners with my grandfather, Gus Mancy, they decided to close a restaurant on Christmas Eve. Now the restaurant since 1921 had been open seven days a week, 24 hours a day. They went to lock the back door and the front door. They had no keys. They had to call a locksmith out. And I think that's a testament to the hard work that any first generation business has to go through uh, to be successful. These guys work seven days a week, 12 hour shifts. They were always at the restaurant, um, open all night long and, and um, had never locked the restaurant. Second quick story, my grandfather, um, whether you like him or not, the Wickavoli gang used to eat here at two and three o'clock in the morning after they'd closed their businesses, whether it was a bar or a brothel or a gambling place. I don't know what they did, but they came in and, and ate dinner here, not like once a week, but often. And I remember vividly my grandfather telling me uh, that story and that also as long as as long he felt as long as he served them good food, they never asked for any payola. And the businesses up and down uh, Sylvania Avenue and Phillips, very uh, busy corridor, or whether you were downtown back then, not only did you have the police to protect you, but if you gave like five bucks a month to the gang, they would protect you too. And and true Toledo story. Um, one more, one more quick one. Um, night, what year did Jimmy Hoffa disappear? 73 or 76? I, I forget now. It, 76 was it, a few months before he disappeared. There was a big meeting in our private dining room. Uh, guys from Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago, they all met here. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa was with them. I'm not going to say any last names because they may, may be watching this podcast. Um, but they they were here. They had dinner. Um, the funny story that the second generation told us was our servers served them drink and food. They brought in their own uh, girls with cigars <laughs> and cigarettes, and they lit their cigars and cigarettes topless that evening. So <laughs> they were in private dining room, so nobody... Nobody else in the restaurant saw him, but that's a true Mansi story. <laughs> um, so could you talk about uh, the fact that Mansi's has a reputation as being a fantastic uh, community citizen? Could you talk about your uh, community and charitable involvement of the Mansi's family? Sure. Love, love to. I, I think... Um, you know, one thing that we've been able to do the third generation is is to focus in on different areas uh, that, that we all enjoy uh, contributing our time and energy and effort to. Um, and, and, you know, one thing personally I've I've loved to do in the last 25 years is the taste of the nation. And then it morphed into becoming the zest. And um, during um, the 25 years that I helped to either co-chair or, or uh, be on the committee uh, and being very involved with this event, along with some other uh, great uh, civic-minded uh, restaurateurs uh, and chefs, we've, we've raised over $2.4 million. Now, that event has been on pause the last two years because of COVID, and I'm hoping that we can revitalize that soon because 
there were some great charities uh, that, that benefited uh, every year uh, from the event. Um, you know, and, and other things too, it, you know, when we go get out into the community and do a small event or do a food tasting or contribute a gift card, um, you know, we, we, we all do that individually and independently. And, and, uh, we, again, we all have different organizations, uh, that, that we love. Um, Ann Grady is one of them, uh, since my uncle George passed and, uh, 1996. We've done a golf outing every year with Ann Grady. Uh, usually a uh, hundred guys show up and we do it in memory of my uncle, but all the money goes to um, Ann Grady and we usually raise a good chunk of change uh, every year for Ann Grady. So Gus, I appreciate you being on with us today. Um, you know, I recommend to anybody if you want the best quality food and atmosphere in Toledo, in Northwestern Ohio, you want to go to one of the Mancy's restaurants. And uh, I'm sure you're honored that, you know, your name, Mancy, is equivalent to an adjective uh, for just quality. So thanks for being with us today, Gus. Chuck, thanks for your time. I have, uh, you know, one thing, great food and great service is important that you mention uh, but if we don't provide honest value, um, uh, I think some of it gets lost. So, so I, I'd like to add that you know we're so conscious about what we are doing, um, and, and we just appreciate everyone's support. We're conscious about quality, about service, and about providing that honest value. So, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I appreciate uh, all the kind gestures, kind questions, and compliments. Thank you. Thank you.